Hey, today we're kicking off a two-week mini-series of messages as we head towards Christmas at Crossroads. And I just, if I haven't told you, we're really excited about Christmas at Crossroads. A great time to invite family and friends. I'm just telling you, 85% of people that don't have a church home said if someone invited them for Christmas, they'll come. That puts it on us, right? Let's do this because God's going to change some lives. We really believe that. Saturday, December 23rd at 7 p.m. Sunday, December 24th, 3 p.m. Don't forget, don't show up in the morning. And then on December 31st, we're going to have a special time and kind of a special day, and we'll announce that later. So we're praying and believing that God does a lot in people's hearts and lives during Christmas at Crossroads. We're springing the whole uh, Christmas at Crossroads out of a Dr. Seuss quote that says, most people don't know the power of a moment until it becomes a memory. And I think we can all relate to that. And there's a lot of stories that go with that, right? And so uh, be in prayer for that every day, um, now until Christmas. Pray for people before you invite them. And uh, let's trust that God's going to do some great, great things over Christmas. Today's message, I believe, is going to be a special message for a lot of us and going to speak to you in a way that could provide some internal healing that maybe you've been looking for for a long, long time. Because we're going to talk about labels, And more specifically, labels that have been attached to us, that we've attached to us. We've been carrying some of these. We've been wearing these for years, and we wrongly believe them to be true. Like, it'd be really interesting. I thought about giving everybody a label when you came in and a magic marker and asking you if you'd be truthful enough to write what it is that you feel about yourself that's true. What label has someone attached to you or you attached to yourself? What would that label say about you? And you know what I I file this under? Uh, I want to talk to you about the power of words. How many of you understand that words can be very, very powerful? How many of you believe that your mama or a teacher, somebody lied to you? Because when you were a little kid, like I was a little kid, I heard this. I heard it from my mama. I heard it from other people. I heard it from teachers. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but that's a big old lie. They lied to us. I mean, seriously, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It couldn't be more wrong than that. Words do hurt. They may not be a stick or a stone, but to say they never harm you is absolutely ridiculous. We've all been hurt by words. We've hurt by, been hurt by somebody else's words. My guess is the majority of us have hurt people with our words. Words can really hurt. They can last a long, long time. Some of you had words said to you when you were a kid. You still remember them like it happened yesterday. And some of our lives have been shaped by those words, both positively and negatively. The reality is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this, the tongue, that's our words, has the power of life and death. The same little tongue can either build life or it can destroy life. And we've seen it over and over again. Words have the ability to shape a person's life. They've shaped your life. They've shaped my life in many ways. Some of us grew up in homes where maybe your parents were great at speaking words of encouragement. I've heard those. People talk about, man, they had parents that said, you can do anything you want. You're really going to turn out to be something one day. I believe in you. Some of you grew up in homes like that. Others grew up in homes where we were told, like, you're pathetic. You'll probably never amount to anything. I'm sorry we ever had you. 
You're going to be lazy the rest of your life? Are you really that stupid? Right? The power of words. They can build life. They can destroy life. And the reality is for most of us listening right now, that we've either struggled in the past, maybe you're struggling in the present right now because of a label, because of someone's words that turned into a label that you've wore either outwardly or inwardly for a long, long time. And because of that, we struggle because of these labels. Christmas is time for labels, right? Put those labels on the gift. I don't know how you do it. My wife coordinates all the wrapping paper based on who's getting what. You never know until that day what wrapping paper you have. So there's no shaking and anyway, whole different story. Whole different story. (laughs) But the labels that we wear, some of you realize the truth is you've been struggling internally because of a label. And maybe you've been carrying that label for years upon years upon years. And you realize it's affecting you still to this day. I don't know what label it might be for you, but certainly there are those of you that have owned these labels. Somebody's owned a lazy label, right? And maybe, maybe you're not the most energetic person, but you've just kind of conformed. Okay, if people are going to call you that, might as well, right? You're never going to amount to anything, so you really have not tried that hard if the truth were known because you've kind of absorbed that label. I don't know what label you've been carrying around, but it's affecting you. It's affecting your relationships. It affects all of us. And sometimes they're hard to break. Some of us grew up in homes that were very functional. Some grew up in homes that were dysfunctional. And many of us grew up in homes that were somewhere in between. But can I just tell you that what if this Christmas, God's gift to you was giving you some clarity around that label and breaking that power that has bound you for a long, long time? What if this was the Christmas that happened? There might be some of you that have wore that label. You've embraced that label. But today you're going to understand something different from God's word about that label. And here's what I want you to know. If you haven't taken out your note sheets, you can. This isn't a fill-in on yours, but you might want to make a note of this somewhere on that page. What's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. What's true about you now, what's true about me now, doesn't have to be true about me later. What's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. If you've embraced something hurtful, a label that's been paralyzing you, that's holding you down, that's holding you back, if you're looking at yourself right now and you're in a season of your life where you just feel like, wow, this is where I am, this is who I am, what's true about you today doesn't have to be true about you later. I want to encourage you today to learn from God's word and God's story about naming it something different. And there's power in names, there's power in name tags, there's power in labels, but there's power of naming things differently. I want to show you from an old story, an old story from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 35. It's a really, real cool story. For people that think the Bible is boring, uh, listen, I'm just telling you, you're missing out. It's kind of a love story about a guy named Jacob. 
and he's actually met a girl that he really is head over heels with. Her name is Rachel. She was taking care of sheep when he met her, right? He was like, oh, 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 oh. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like first time you laid eyes on her, it was like, oh my gosh. He really liked what he saw. And evidently, Rachel was very beautiful. She was not hard on the eyes. Now, Rachel, she had a sister. Rachel had a sister. Rachel was beautiful. Her sister, Leah, interestingly enough, this is what I love about the Bible. She was described in the Bible. This is, you can read it yourself. The Bible says, Rachel had a lovely figure. That's the one that Jacob's all head over heels. He's, she's a looker, like, woo. She's lovely figure. She's beautiful. And then it talked of her sister this way. It said her sister had weak eyes. Now, I don't care who you are. That's funny. I mean, I feel bad for Leah, but he, Rachel, right? Lovely figure, beautiful. Her sister, she wears glasses. In our world today, we'd say, you know what? But she's got a good personality, right? Come on. You know you say stuff like that. She had a great personality. I'm sure that's what it means in the Hebrew. Weak eyes. That's how the Bible describes her. Listen, I didn't make this up. You can read it. This is kind of tough. And so Jacob, he falls for Rachel. He's not so much in to her sister. So Jacob is pursuing Rachel. He goes to her, Rachel's dad, and he said, sir, I want to marry your daughter. I'd love to have your daughter. And the dad says, hey, fair enough, but you got to work for me for seven years. She must have really been something, right? Because Jacob says, okay, I will. I'll work for you for seven years so I can have Rachel as my wife. And so get it, seven years. Every day he's up He's working for Rachel's father. We don't know all that he did, but he worked day in and day out for seven years so that he could take Rachel as her wife. And at the end of the seven years, Rachel's dad does a mean, mean thing. He pulls a switcheroo, and he says, okay, you can have her sister, the one with weak eyes. Jacob's like, hey, I didn't, that's not the one I wanted. Like, I worked seven years for you so I could have Rachel. He said, oh, you really want Rachel? Yes, sir, I really want Rachel. Work for me another seven years. Yeah. She must have really been a looker because he said, okay, I'll do it. I'd have been like, are you kidding? We had a deal. Like, I just did seven years. You want to offer me her? That's not who I want. So he works another seven years. And at the end of that seven years, the dad finally comes through. Jacob's able to marry Rachel. And they had this dream, right? You know how it is when you get married. You're going to have a couple kids and a white picket fence and a dog. Notice I didn't say cat, dog. <laughs> the problem was all they had was the dog. Rachel, this beautiful woman that Jacob had worked for for 14 years to take as his wife, she's unable to conceive. She's not getting pregnant. And they just look at each other, right? And they can't believe that their dream is not coming true. And you know how it is, if you've ever been in that, we never had that issue, but I've known a lot of couples that you relate to that. 
and everybody else around you is having kids, and you're like, they weren't even trying. They just looked at each other and got pregnant, right? And here you are working at it, praying for it, dreaming about it, and you just can't conceive. Well, that's what happened. And so fast forward several years, Rachel finally gets pregnant, and she's given birth. And then they said they really want another one. And they conceive a second child. But tragically in this story, the second pregnancy doesn't work very well. It's not going well. I want to I show you how the story goes because we're going to see the, the power of naming something different. Genesis chapter 35, we pick up this story as it tells us this very, very sad story. Remember, she, they've had one son. She's pregnant again. She's delivering. Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. We're going to see this description given two different times. We don't know exactly what's going on. This wasn't a day and an age where we had all the medical technology and know-how that we have today. We're like, if you struggle in a pregnancy and you're struggling with delivery, they can rush you to the emergency room or into the surgery, and they can give you a C-section. It's what had to happen with us. That, that they didn't have that technology, they didn't have that ability, and so she's struggling in giving birth, and she's in big, big trouble. The pregnancy is not going, she's not delivering well. Her life and the baby's life is in imminent danger. And look at verse 17. It says, she was having great difficulty in childbirth. There we see it again. The midwife said to her, and this is supposed to comfort her, don't despair, Rachel, for you have another son. It's not so encouraging, is it? You have another son. In other words, you might lose this one. This one might not make it. She's trying to, I guess in her own way, let her know that this is really, really bad. And then look at verse 18. It's tragic. As Rachel breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. Rachel lost her life giving birth to the second son. Think about this for a minute. Rachel is breathing her last. She's giving birth to her second son. And before she dies, she says, your name is Benoni. Rachel named her son. But Jacob, the father called him something else. This is so important, and if you don't understand it, you miss it. Rachel named her son one thing. The father named him something else. Why? Because names are important. Name tags are important. Labels are important. You should really think hard before you name your kids. Can we just say that? For your kids' sake. In fact, I, I mean, I've just got to be honest. The names that are coming out in this generation, let me just say, they're creative. <laughs> you want to do some research. Look at some of the popular names and some names that people are being given today that may be not so popular, but it's like people don't want to give them a name that everybody else has, and I get it. Because I remember naming our kids, right? And every time my wife would pop up a name, if I could relate to somebody back in school, I'm like, mm, no. No, you, 
You know what I'm talking about. Oh, no, no, not that name. Not that name. Not that name. Not that name. So in, let me just we'll have a fun with this, and then we'll get back to our story. But these baby names for boys, some of the most common, uncommon names going around in our society today, get this, Arrow, okay, Bobo, that's, that's a good one, Miggy, which if you're a Tigers fan, okay, I can maybe see that. How about this one, Turgle, T-E-R-G-E-L, Turgle. I think of the old movie back in the day, Master of Disguise. Anybody remember that movie? He went, Turgle. That's what I think of when I hear Turgle. But anyway, I w- it would have been good, not good if I was in school with that kid. But anyway, and, and finally, Blade. Blade, that sounds like you're setting him up for a gang already. I don't know. That's just me. Let me tell you some girls' names, some of the most common, uncommon names. Fruity, F-R-O-O-T-I, Fruity. Okay, we'll go with that, honey. What'd you leave out? That's what I want to know. Hey, Fruity, come here. Last week, we looked at one from the Old Testament, Dorcas. Now, she had quite the story, but I don't know that I'd want to name my daughter Dorcas. This next one, <laughs> girl's name, Messiah. No pressure here, girl. Messiah. You've got to think carefully about this. And this last girl's name that's uncommonly common, I've never seen it before. Matter of fact, I wanted you to see it so you could help me. Now, let's put it up on the screen. This is a girl's name. How do you pronounce that? Yeah, it is. Somebody said it. I said la or la uh la. It's Ladasha. Ladasha. No joke. That's a girl's name. I bet nobody gets it right except one person at Crawl. You're the only person on the planet. Ladasha. That's kind of mean. But anyway, that's that's a name. That's creative. Names matter. Names matter. Rachel names her son before she takes her last breath, Ben-Oni. Jacob names him something else. Verse 18, as Rachel breathed her last, she was dying. She named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. Ben-Oni. Ben means son. Oni means sorrow. Rachel, before she breathes her last, names her son, Ben-Oni, son of sorrow. Jacob says, no, 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 no. I'm going to name you Benjamin. I can see why in her moment, she might name her son Ben-Oni, son of sorrow makes sense when you know the story. But can I tell you, she wasn't the only one suffering. Now, granted, she's the only one that lost her life. But Jacob was grieving. They both had dreams. They had waited to get married for 14 years. It took them years to get pregnant. She gets pregnant once, they have a son. She gets pregnant this second time. They've got all the plans, the white picket fence. Now we have two kids and a dog, and Rachel loses her life. Jacob lost his best friend, this woman that he worked for for 14 years, and she names him son of my sorrow, and Jacob's going, no, 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 no. 
Why? Because the power of a name, what was true in the moment, wasn't needing to be true forever. You following me? Jacob was like, no, we can't. I just can't leave his name, Benoni, son of sorrow. I can't have him wear that label the rest of his life. Yes, this is an ugly moment. It's a grieving moment, but I don't want it to go on forever. I don't want my son to live with that label the rest of his life, and so he changed his name. What may be true in your life in the moment doesn't have to be true forever. And so Jacob, this loving father, took the opportunity to name his son something different. If you don't like the label that you've been wearing, that you've been carrying for a long, long time, can I tell you, label it something different. Let our God in heaven take what your enemy has handed to you or someone else and name it something different. What's true about you today doesn't have to be true about you later. Rachel said, this is son of my sorrow. And Jacob's like, no, we're going to call him something else. Now, here's what's interesting. Jacob actually had some experience in renaming. In fact, if you know the story, um, one day he's wrestling with what was like an angel. He was wrestling actually with God. And so he's wrestling with God, and he endures the night. He wrestles all night with God. It's a great story you ought to read. And at the end of the night, he says, bless me, bless me, bless me, for I have survived this. And God looks at him, and he says, your name was Jacob, which means deceiver. <laughs> Names mean something. But I'm going to call you Israel, which means my God provides. So after a moment, after a wrestling match with God, all night long, God says, you've been called Jacob the deceiver, right? I'm going to name you Israel. You're no longer going to be known as a deceiver. So he looks around, and he says, because of what went on in this place, I'm going to rename this place Peniel, which means face of God. Because here's where I saw the face of God. Do you see the power of renaming things? When Jacob sees something, he calls it something different. He's had some practice in this renaming. He's even been a part of that process with God. He understands the power of understanding labels and how powerful they can be and what happens if you change it. not going to let my son be called son of sorrow from now on on. I'm calling him Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. I love that, son of the right hand. If you know anything about Old Testament history, the right hand was a symbol of blessing. You see the difference? Son of sorrow or blessing. The power of a label. What one would call sorrow... I'm going to call a blessing from God. Do you think that had a different impact on that son growing up? Absolutely. Here's the key point for today. If you're taking notes, you've been waiting for this. You don't get to choose what comes into your life, but you get to choose what you call it. We don't always get to choose everything that comes into our life, but we get to choose what we call it. It may look like what's coming into your life is a son of sorrow, but I'm here to tell you, it could be a blessing. I call you the right hand, son of my right hand. 
If there's a label that you have embraced and you don't like it, you fought it your whole life, you wish it would have never been said, you wish you'd have never, it would have never got stuck in your head, you call it something else. Call it something else. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but it's true. I'm probably one of the shyest people you'll ever meet. If you know me outside of here, you'll probably know that. There's a level of comfort for me on stage doing this because I've done it so long, but it's a God thing. Trust me. This would have been like the last thing I'd have ever dreamed of doing is being a public speaker, right? I mean, it's just crazy for me still. In high school, I would have never got on stage. I was great at using a quick wit and humor behind the scenes or in class, right? I, I'm, I drove teachers crazy, I'm sure. I spent so much time in the hallway, people thought I was a permanent hall monitor um, because of my quick wit, and it would just get me in trouble. And I had some teachers try to embarrass me, and it didn't work well for them because my wit was so quick. And anyway, all that to say, I've done this now for 36 years, and I'm getting paid to do something that I used to get kicked out of school for. I know that's a weird way to say, but I'm just telling you, name it something else. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. The devil wants to use things to harm you, to kill and destroy, to tear down what God loves, which means you. And God's saying, no, I didn't make any mistakes. Name it something else. If you don't like the label that you've been given, that you've owned, that you've put on yourself, that someone else said about you and it's stuck with you, name it something else. What's true about you today doesn't have to be true about you later. Instead of son of sorrow, it could be son of blessing. It's huge, isn't it? And it can be so good. Christ in you, if you're a believer of Christ, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, you're more than enough. Different is good. None of us are the same. I don't want to be normal. Normal is boring. God made each one of us unique. I don't want to be a normal pastor, right? I used to try to fit that mold. For years, I wrestled with what I thought everybody thought a pastor should be and how they should dress, and pretty soon, I finally just said, no, I'm going to be me. I wore a label. I was trying to fit a mold that I just did not fit. And I don't want you to be normal. I want you to be who God made you to be, to be unique, Call it something else. Breathe in that God loves you and he created you to be you and not to be like anybody else. There's not two of you in the world. There's one. Be you for his honor and for his glory. Somebody needs to hear this today. You've been owning a label that today you could wad up and throw it in the trash and name it something else. This is not son of my sorrow. This is son of blessing. This is son of my right hand now. That's a big difference. You don't like what you've been called, name it something else. Well, you're just lazy. No, actually, I'm not. I'm being transformed by him. I'm motivated 
to fulfill his divine calling in my life because God didn't make any junk. He didn't make my, any mistakes. I've been owning something that I don't need to own. Well, I'm just miserable. No, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not going to be miserable. I'm going to call it something else. I'm going to believe it as something else. I'm going to confess what God says is true is true about me, not what the devil says or somebody else that didn't really have my best interest in mind said about me. Don't embrace the lie. Don't embrace the lie. Well, you're undependable. You're a loser. You're a failure. No, I'm a child of the king. I'm forgiven. My past has been paid for. I'm a new person from the inside out. That's what God's word says. You know Jesus Christ and you gave your life to him. Can I just tell you, you're new. You were new that moment you gave your heart and life to Jesus. You're a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in. That's who you are. That's the truth about who you are. Now, for some of you, let's just be honest. You're going through a tough season. This might be a really bad season, and you've, you've just told yourself, For a lot of people, the holidays are a difficult season. It takes us to a dark place because we remember who used to be there that's not there. For some, it's going to be the first year without that special someone. I understand that. That's real. That's grief. But our hope is in Christ. Doesn't mean we can't be sad. But our God has a plan, and that all of us that know him will be united one day, which is why it's so important that you and I get involved in people's lives that we love today. It's why these Christmas invitations coming to church is so important, because some people don't know the truth about God that so loved them that he sent his son to be born on Christmas as a baby, to grow up, to be crucified, that all was a plan to rescue, to restore fallen human beings to a perfect and holy God. Some people don't realize how personal Christmas is. And you might say, well, yeah, but I'm just a, what about, what about, what about these labels? No, call it something else. Name it something. Go to truth. God says, I love you. I died for you. I let my son die in your place so that you could receive the greatest gift you've ever been offered, the gift of eternal life, forever life. You can't earn, you can't deserve. I can only offer it because a death has occurred. My son, blood has been shed, my son's, so that yours doesn't need to be. Can I tell you what matters to the heart of God more than anything? People. You and me, every person that's hearing my voice and every person you'll lock eyes with this week. And some don't know it. Some are living with what I would call ghosts from Christmas's past. And they don't know the Savior who came into the world, born of a virgin, on a mission for them. A lot of people get mad at God because they don't really understand him. There's things that happen in my life and yours that we just, if God 
God, if you're there, why would you allow it? Our God understands pain. He so loved you and I that he allowed his son to be crucified so that we could live in eternity in a perfect place with him. So yes, he says in this world we will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world, he says. One day, all that we talk about and see, all the things that drag us down, that drag our minds away, the grief, the hurt, the pain, will disappear. It'll be erased. And all of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, that have received his gift, free gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus, will never have a bad day. For thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and it'll just be like day one again. That's how good God is. He's working all things together for the good, for those of us that love him and are called according to his purpose. You can't choose what comes into your life, but you get to choose what you call it. If you don't like the label you've been given, call it something else. God didn't make any junk. He made all of us unique. And he loves us. Would you bow your heads with me? Today as we pray, I pray that you understand the power of Jesus' healing. That you understand his love for you. That no matter where you've been, what you've done, how long you've been doing it, he loves you. He proved his love. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came on purpose, for a purpose. He was born on Christmas as a baby who grew up to be tortured and beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross. He died was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he defeated the devil's ultimate weapon. He overcame death. And he says, whoever will put their faith in him and believe in him, he will give them what they don't deserve. He'll offer it as a gift to you what only one deserved, his son Jesus, for his perfection. He'll give you eternal life. Listen, I don't know how you are about opening Christmas gifts early, but for some of you, today's your day. You've never given your life to Jesus. On this 10th day of December, you can receive the greatest gift you'll ever be offered your entire life. It's the very reason you were given life. You'll provide the sinner, which you are. God provides a Savior. The one and only way to heaven, his name is Jesus, the one who came and lived and died so that you don't have to whether you're at home or whether you're in this room and you've never given your life to Christ with your own lips, you've never confessed that you're a sinner, that your way will not get you to heaven, but only Jesus will. Make this your prayer from your heart to God's ears. Say, God, I don't understand it all. What I understand is I'm not perfect. I've hurt myself with words. I've hurt other people with words. I've done things that I'm not proud of. And sin 
separates me from you because you're so perfect and holy, you can't be around sin. So you came and became sin, shed your blood, died and defeated death so that whosoever would put their faith in you would be forgiven of their sins, would get a new life, eternal life that they don't earn or deserve. God, that's me. So I turn from my sins today by faith and I turn to you. Jesus, I ask you for that forgiveness. I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord and Savior. Adopt me into your family as you share. I receive your gift of eternal life, which starts right now, the moment I receive. And it will continue forever, no matter how long I live. Whenever I, my heart beats for the last time, like did Rachel's, I will step into your presence for eternity. Help me live the rest of my life not forgetting who I am in you. Use me, God, even this Christmas, with family and friends, to invite them to experience what I've just experienced. Say thanks. I love you. Thanks for loving me first. Thanks for creating me unique, one of a kind. I'm not who they say I am. I'm not who I say I am. I'm who you say I am. In Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm forgiven. We say thanks. We give you all the praise in your name. Everybody said, amen.